Second Peter chapter number 3 tonight. And I want us to take just a few moments this evening and look at really one word. We're going to look at the entire chapter, but really one word is what I want to draw your attention to that's found in Second Peter chapter number 3. You know, Peter is probably one of the most fascinating characters in the Word of God. You won't find anybody more human than the Apostle Peter. And uh, you can tell Peter didn't write the Bible because he would have left a lot out, just like I would have if, uh, if I was writing about myself. We know the good things about the Apostle Peter, and we know the bad things about him as well. We see him at his greatest moment, probably at Pentecost. We certainly see him at his worst moment around the fires denying our Lord. But one of the things we have to say about the life of Peter is it was a life that was marked by faith. In fact, the Lord said He would pray in a, in a special and particular way for Peter concerning his faith. Do you remember that? When the Lord was predicting, not predicting, but prophesying, the Lord doesn't predict anything, He prophesies. He's already there, amen? To predict it implies you're looking at it from this side and you're not there yet. He, he's the author and finisher. But uh, when He was prophesying about... Uh, how that Peter would deny the Lord, he said, uh, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have thee, that he may sift thee as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. Now, what an encouraging thought. In Peter's life, though it is marked with failure, it's certainly marked with faith. And uh, make no bones about it. Oftentimes, your life will not be marked by faith, uh, except it will also be marked by some failures. In other words, uh, you never get anything done by not trying. Amen? People that are people of great faith, they try great things, and often they fail in great ways, but they accomplish great things too. And certainly anybody uh, that puts their faith in the Lord, they'll not fail because they put their faith in the Lord, but there will be times in their life when things don't work out like they're expecting them to. And we see that in the life of Peter. I want us to begin reading at verse number 1 of Second Peter chapter number 3. And we're going to read the whole chapter. And uh, I probably won't preach any longer than it'll take me to read it. Amen. Do you believe that? No, I didn't think you did. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of, of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? 
looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of Him in peace, without spot and blameless. And account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other Scriptures, unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest also, uh, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord, Je- Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Now I want you to notice, we're going to look at three verses again before we pray. Look at verse 11. Let's see if you notice this. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Look down at verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Look at verse 17. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Let's pray together tonight. Lord, I'd ask tonight that you would speak to the hearts of your people. God, that you'd accomplish in us that which only you are able. Lord, we love you tonight. We're so grateful. We're so thankful. Lord, if we're not, we ought to be for the precious cross of Calvary and the precious Word of God. Help us tonight, Lord, to do reverence and honor unto you through our obedience and our submission. We'll be sure to thank you for all that takes place. We love you, Lord, and we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. There's a word found in verse 11, verse 14, and verse 17. You probably picked up on it as we read through those verses the second time. And it is the word seeing. In all three verses, Peter uses this word seeing. And I want to preach tonight on seeing things like Peter saw them. Now, what is Peter saying there in all three of those verses when he uses the term seeing? Could I use a turn of phrase that is pretty common to us today that I believe that word seeing is conveying to us? And it's this word, in light of. In light of these truths, seeing that this is so, seeing that this is the case. Something interesting that you'll notice about all three of these verses is they present to us matters of faith. And I'd ask you this tonight, do we have the ability to see things by faith? I believe we do. In fact, I believe there are some things you can only see by faith. Now, when I say see, I don't mean uh, in a physical sense. I don't mean uh, light rays coming into your eyeballs and bouncing around till your brain makes some sense of it. But what I mean is the ability to understand and know and acknowledge some things and allow our life to be affected by them as though they are reality because they are reality. Things that are lost on this world. Things that this world has no interest in. But for the believer are foundational in the way that we live our lives. 
And so I want us to notice a few things this evening, just very quickly, if you'll give me a few moments. I want you to notice, first off, the reality of Peter's scene. What reality was he facing? What is the foundation and basis of the verses that we've read? Look at verse number 11. It says, "...seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved." Now, what does he mean by that? Well, look what we've just read in the prior verses. It says this in verse 8, "...but, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day." The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. That's the dissolving that he's speaking about. The coming day of the Lord. If you've been coming to our Bible studies on Monday night, you've heard a little bit about the day of the Lord. It's a recurring theme in the Minor Prophets. And even last night, as we looked through the... Or not last night, but Monday night, as we studied through the book of Zephaniah, some of you didn't even know your Bible had a Zephaniah, amen? As we studied through the book of Zephaniah, the recurring theme once again was the day of the Lord. Now, that term, day of the Lord, has two different connotations. It has a, a, a just a general blanket description. And the day of the Lord uh, refers to any day when God pours out judgment on somebody. Uh, in your life, even, you could call it, if God chastises you, you could even call that a day of the Lord, and that would be accurate to do so. But then not only is there a practical definition, but there is a prophetic definition to the phrase, the day of the Lord. And it refers to the day when Christ will return in power and in glory, and will defeat the armies of the Antichrist, and will set up a literal, physical kingdom for a thousand years. You say, I didn't know my Bible said that. Well, it does. Amen, it does. In Revelation chapter 20, 1920, it does. It says that. And uh, so what Peter is talking about here is uh, the day when the Lord is going to return. Now, I understand that there are two advents to the second coming. I understand there is a rapture. I'm looking for the rapture, aren't you? I'm looking for the rapture. Uh, like the old preachers always said, I'm not looking for the undertaker, but I'm looking for the upper taker. Looking for the day when the Lord will return. But now, what does Peter say about that? Look again what it says in verse number 12. It says in verse 11, What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God? Lest we wonder when and where that is, he says, Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. So he says to these believers, and these are saved believers, he's writing uh, to those that were scattered, that were Jews, but had turned in faith to the Messiah. He equates the looking for the rapture, which is what we're to be looking for, amen, and the looking for the day of the Lord as to be somewhat uh, synonymous. Now you say, preacher, is that because uh, that Peter, he didn't understand his eschatology? Is that because Peter didn't understand the end times? No, that's not why. But it's because Peter did understand this truth, that for you and I, the next thing on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture to take place. That's the next thing to take place. You say, what's going to be the next thing after that that's going to take place in God's prophetic calendar that's going to involve you and I? Well, the next thing after the rapture that's going to take place that involves you and I is that great day of the Lord. We're going to return with Him, the Bible teaches in Revelation 
Revelation chapter 19. You ever wonder who the armies of heaven are? Well, that's you and that's me. If we've been born again, we're part of the armies of heaven. And so in a very pragmatic and practical sense, looking for that day of the Lord, speaking prophetically of the Lord's return in power and glory, and the rapture are sort of synonymous in their effect on the believer in this day of grace we live in. We certainly don't do any damage by seeing them as having the same impact. Now, don't go out of here and say the preacher don't believe in the rapture and the second coming, because he does believe in that, amen. But you understand what I'm saying. It has the same practical import for you and I, because the next thing on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture for us. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the Lord to return. And so that's what Peter is talking about. When he's talking about the day when the elements shall melt with fervent heat, he's talking about that will take place at the end of the millennial reign, at the great white throne judgment. You say, I don't find that in my Bible. Sure you do. The Bible says that, uh, that him that sat on the throne from whose face heaven and earth fled away. And then the next time you see a heaven and earth, uh, the Bible says, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. That's the day when the elements shall melt with fervent heat. God will destroy this earth and this heaven and uh, create a new heaven and a new earth. Now you say, well, that's good preacher and that's a good theological lesson, but what does it mean to me? Well, what did it mean to Peter? What did it mean to these believers he was writing to? You see, if we could see things the way that Peter, uh, that Peter saw them, if we could see things, if we could have the faith that Peter had, if we could believe in this reality like Peter believed in this reality, it would have the same effect on you and I as it had on him. And I see two things very quickly. I want you to notice first off that when we see things that way, when we believe that, when we live in light of that, number one, it's going to make us virtuous. Isn't that what it says, verse 11? Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Let me tell you something. There's not a lot of times, and uh, I've been doing it a little bit more here lately, just tongue-in-cheek, but there's not a lot of times I'm just going to try to dictate the will of God to you. I, I believe in the Holy Ghost. Amen, don't you? I believe that you've got Him if you've been born again, just like I've got Him. And I don't believe in an ecclesiastical hierarchy either. I believe in the priesthood of the believer. But I will say this, it's the will of God for you to live a godly life. It's the will of God. God's told us that, that it's the will of God. Be ye holy as I am holy, saith the Lord. The Bible teaches us that the will of God is to abstain from fornication. That the will of God is our sanctification. There's no question about it. You don't have to pray about whether or not to sin. Amen? It's always wrong to sin and it's always right to do right. We can rationalize it away. We can try to excuse it away. But there's no excuse to be made for sin. It's always sin. And there's no reason to do it. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I know you're not perfect either. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. But we never have to pray about whether it's the will of God for us to sin. It's always the will of God for us to do right. Always. And certainly in light of the second coming, that ought to be a great motivator for us to live right. Don't you believe that? How do you want Jesus to find you when He comes? How do you want... You, you know, He asked this question, will, it, will, will, will He find faith on the earth when He comes? How, how is He going to find you when He returns to rapture His bride? I believe it's going to uh, cause us to be virtuous. But then notice the second thing, verse 12, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. I believe it will make us virtuous, but I believe it will make us vigilant. You know what it means to be vigilant, don't you? It means to be watchful. I believe we're commanded to watch, don't you? 
The Bible says we're to watch and pray, and we're to watch, for we know not what hour that our Master returneth. I believe we ought to be watchful. I believe we can turn on the TV and be watchful in this day that we live in. Now, not a lot of that nonsense that some of y'all watch, but you turn it on and you can find some stuff on there that uh, it's evident that the Lord's returning soon. Amen? I believe we ought to live in a vigilant manner. I believe we ought to uh, look for our loved ones to come to know Christ. And we ought to pray for it and seek for it because the Lord's returning quickly. I believe we ought to get busy. I believe we ought to start serving. Uh, Let me say this. If you're ever going to get serious about serving God, you better do it now because Jesus is coming soon. You may not have tomorrow. I know we all plan on tomorrow. Boy, we talk about tomorrow more than any other day of the week, don't we? We all plan on getting it done tomorrow. I'm going to get faithful tomorrow, preacher. I'm going to, next week, when I get this new job, or when this changes, or when we move, or when this happens, or when this takes place, I'm going to get faithful. I'm really going to get right. I'm going to get where I need to be. Even tonight on this Wednesday night, there's people uh, that should be here and would be here and could be here, but they've let some petty distraction keep them out of the house of God. And they have every intention of becoming a Wednesday night Christian. They have every intention of becoming faithful to their Bible reading. They have every intention of falling in love with Jesus Christ. They have every intention on spending some serious time in the prayer closet. But there's always something that distracts them and carries them away. Well, I've just got news for you. We're not promised tomorrow. To talk about it as much as we talk about it, we're not promised tomorrow. We don't know what a day may bring forth. We do not know if we'll have tomorrow. Today is the only day that we have to do anything on. Anything you've ever done in your life, you've done on a today. You didn't do it on a tomorrow. You did it on a today. The past is gone and cannot be conjured up. The future is ever out of our grasp. And today is the only day that we have to live and to do anything for Christ. So we ought to get vigilant and we ought to get busy. So we see some things about the reality of what Peter saw. But then I want you to notice the results of what Peter saw. Look at verse number 14. He says it again. Wherefore, beloved, seeing... Seeing what? That ye look for such things. In other words, he says, I want to tell you what you ought to be looking for. And then in the next phrase, he says, all right, now that you're looking for that, here's some results. Here's some things that ought to be birthed into your life. Well, I want you to notice verse number 14. We see consistency. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Diligence. Consistency. Let me tell you something. If there is ever something that my generation needs, it needs consistency. You'd be amazed the things in your life you could tackle if you'd learn to be consistent. Just consistent. We always worry about taking on the whole world at one time. But we'd be amazed what we could do with consistency. Just a little at a time, but faithfully plugging away, letting nothing veer us to the right hand or to the left if we'd just be consistent. I've told this analogy before, but I'll share it again. You know, it's, I think it hurt folks' feelings when I said it the first time because it was so cold outside. We didn't want to talk about any more snow, amen? But, but now it's warmed up a little, so you may be okay with it. But uh, whenever it snowed real bad and we was living out in quarantine and, and trying to get out of the yard, my, my car, I mean, it, it, was, it had been in the driveway for so long that it was just an ice cube. I mean, the whole thing. I mean, it, it, there's other cars frozen to it. 
And uh, we, we decided we need to try to get that car out. We had to figure out some way. And my driveway has a little bit of a little bit of dip in it, you know. And, and so we had to back it out of there. And uh, I had to try several times. And you get a pretty good start going. But then once you hit all four tires on snow and ice, it just whoo and spin and stop right where it was. And I'd have to roll down the driveway to where I could get a little bit of a grip again and then start it all over again. You know, that's how a lot of Christians read their Bibles, and that's how a lot of Christians live their lives. Just, just I mean, just a, a, a no-holes-bar hurling themselves into it in a moment unprepared, and then the next moment they're burnt out and they give up. You, you'd go a lot further if you'd learn just to be consistent. You don't have to read 30 chapters a day, but you'd be amazed what 30 verses a day can do to change your life. You don't have to pray for three hours a day, but you'd be amazed what 15, 20 minutes a real prayer would do to your life if you just do it every day, if you'd be consistent. We ought to be diligent. So I think consistency is one of the results. Then notice verse 15. I think compassion is one of those results. It says in verse 15, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is what? Salvation. In other words, he's saying, if the Lord's not returned, it's because there's some that still need to be saved. Now, old-timers used to say that a lot. Old-timers used to say that when the last sinner gets saved, the saints will be out. You, you remember them saying things like that. And I believe there is absolutely a truth to that. The Father knows. The Son does not know. To me, the greatest mystery of the Godhead is that the Father knows and the Son doesn't. But my Bible tells me that the Father knows and the Son doesn't. And so I believe that. Amen? I don't have to rationalize it or, or uh, excuse it away or interpret it away. I just believe it. Amen? Just trust that there's some things about God I don't know. And that's all right. Amen? If there are. But the Bible says that what we ought to account this time that we have is as the long-suffering of God towards us and that the long-suffering of God is salvation more opportunities for sinners to come to know Christ. There will come a time when all those that have heard the gospel, all those that have heard and rejected the gospel will have chance no more. That's what your Bible says. The Bible says in the book of 1 Thessalonians that those that have not believed the truth under righteousness will believe a lie and a strong delusion lest they should believe and that they'll be damned. That's what your Bible says. There's going to come a day when the Lord returns, and He is returning. When the Lord returns, those that have consciously rejected the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ will be given over to a strong delusion. We don't know. That could be tomorrow. So it ought to cause us to use the time we've got now. Some of you have loved ones that could be hours away from meeting God. I have loved ones that could be hours away from meeting God. You say, what should we do with those hours, preacher? We should account them the long-suffering of God for salvation and try to win them. Try to do something to get the gospel to them. Try to do something to pray for their soul. Try to do something to reach them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And do something with the time we've got. Because one of these days we'll miss this time that we've got now when we haven't got any more time. We ought to count it compassion. But then I want you to notice a final thing and I'm done. We see the reality of what Peter was seeing. And then we see the results of what Peter was seeing. But then I want you to notice the responsibility of what Peter was seeing. Look down at verse number 17. Peter says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before. 
Now, what is he saying there? He's saying, and you can actually go all the way back to the beginning of the chapter if you want to and find some of these things that he's talking about, where he says in verse number 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of of the creation. Peter answers that when he says, for this they willingly are ignorant of, of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. He's saying they said that once before, and God judged the world universally. And God's going to judge the world universally before uh, again. But Peter says this, you know these things now. You know them before. You know that in these last days there are scoffers that are coming. Boy, we live in a day of scoffers. We live in a day of scoffers. I was seeing on the news, and I don't watch the news very often because it just irritates me. Amen. I, I'd, I'd rather, listen, I'd rather get in here and get some news that helps me. Uh, and I'm not fussing at you if you watch the news. I, that's okay. Be angry if you want to be angry. But I just don't watch it very much. Sure as anything, when I turned it on, there's something that made me angry. Amen. And uh, saw where the atheists have went and bought them a billboard and uh, put up a billboard that, you know, if you don't believe in God, you're not alone. and Like that's news or something. <laughs> That's not news. The world has always... When the world, by wisdom, knew not God. It's no news that there's there's more than just a few atheists in the world. The world always has rejected the truth of the gospel. The Bible says that uh, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's nothing new. But, uh, you know, they they got their billboard, and what they're doing is they're trying to scoff at at the other billboards that have gone up. Uh, I don't know that anybody, that there's an eighth around Knoxville that thinks they're alone, and they're going to see that billboard and gain comfort. Amen. Gain what kind of comfort? To know that there's no God in heaven that loves you and cares about you? That's no comfort. Uh, What the comfort is, is to know that there's a God in heaven that does love love you enough to die for you and to pay your sin debt. That's the comfort. But uh, there's a, we live in a day of scoffers, there's no question. And the scoffers have come. And Peter says, you know the truth, and you know that these scoffers... So this is your responsibility. In light of that, seeing that, look at verse 17 again. The first thing, ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfast. First off, we're to be guarded. I believe we ought to be guarded in the day that we live in. I believe we ought to be careful. We live in a day of tolerance and acceptance. You say, preacher, are you, are you against tolerance? Well, I'm glad God tolerated me, but I'm also glad God didn't tolerate my sin. Because, you see, we could have got in the ditch on either side, and God could have not tolerated me, and I'd be in hell tonight. Amen? Or he could have tolerated my sin, and then that wouldn't have changed me, and he wouldn't have been God. God did tolerate me in a sense. Now, if I had rejected him, there would have come a day when the tolerance of God would have been ran out, and I would have been cast into hell. We live in a day of tolerance and acceptance. We better be very, very careful. We need to understand, we're to be, we're to be harmless as doves, but we're to be wise as serpents what the Bible says. We're to be harmless as doves, but we're to be wise as serpents. And we better be careful lest uh, all that time that we're trying to be tolerant to that sheep on the other side of the fence, we don't find out that that's a wolf in sheep's clothing waiting for us. I'm just telling you there are some things that are right and there are some things that are wrong. 
And Christians ought to guard themselves against error. You say, what's error? Error is that which is wrong. It's interesting that it doesn't say uh, iniquity or sinfulness, but rather it says error. Because we as Christians ought to guard... It doesn't the term error denote almost the idea of doctrinal error to you and to me. Uh, the error of the wicked. And fall from your own steadfastness. We ought to be grounded in the truth of the Word of God. We ought to be grounded in the Gospel, no doubt. But we ought also to be grounded in the truth of the Word of God. There is a difference too, amen? The Word of God contains the Gospel, but there's more in the Word of God than just the Gospel. And, there's a, and the Bible says that the man of God is to preach the whole counsel of God. Not just the Gospel. The Gospel is important. The Gospel is preeminent. But it's not the only thing in this Bible. We need to be grounded and built up in the truth and established in the most holy faith and be guarding ourselves against error, both doctrinal and practical and moral, in our lives. We need to be guarded in this day we live in. We have more access to things now than we've ever had in our entire life. And in some ways, that's a blessing. It's a blessing for the truth of the Word of God and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to thunder to the four corners of the earth. But understand that that pipe goes both ways, friend. We've got a lot of good we can send out, but there's a lot of trash that can come into our lives too. And we need to guard ourselves. Well, what's the other thing? And by the way, you can get in the ditch on either side of this. There's some that always want to talk about guarding, 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 but there's a flip side to it. Look at verse 18 and I'll close. It says this, But grow, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. We ought to be guarded, but we ought to be growing. We ought to be growing. Seeing that we live in these last days, we ought to know how important it is to be growing. It's interesting, I, and I'm not fussing. I mean, I, you know, this is Wednesday night. I mean, you could be anywhere, but you're here, and I appreciate that. So I'm not fussing. But just, just as a matter of, of preaching and, and theological discussion and, and an academic point, isn't it interesting that we live in a day when we ought... The Bible says that uh, we're not to forsake the assembly of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. Uh, but we're so much the more to exhort one another and provoke one another unto good works. So much the more as ye see the day approaching. Living in these last days ought not give us excuse to not be in church. It ought to encourage us to be in church more. It ought to drive us to, to the fellowship of the beloved more. It ought to drive us to the preaching of the Word of God more. It ought to drive us to the altar more, not less. But in this day of apostasy we live in, it seems like it's less and less and less and less. And uh, I don't like that, do you? I believe we ought to be growing, growing, growing. I believe we ought to be getting closer to the Lord Jesus Christ, not farther away. I believe we ought to be reading more of our Bible, not less of our Bible. We ought to be praying more, not praying less. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Here's the question I have for you tonight. Do you see things the way Peter sees them? Do you really believe those things? Not just as a matter of, of academic discussion, but effectually do you believe those things? Do you find those things to be true in your life? Are you consistent? I, I'll ask this question, and let it be rhetorical, I guess, if you want to let it be. You don't have to raise your hand or acknowledge it, but I want you to ponder it in your own heart. Do you read your Bible consistently? Consistently. Do you day by day take the Word of God and read? And if not, why don't you? Is it because something else has occupied your time? 
Is it because whatever that other thing is that's occupied your time is more important? Or is it because you think that the Word of God is that unimportant? Are you consistent in your prayer life? Do you pray every day? Not just praying over meals, not just now lay me down to sleep or any of that nonsense. But every day do you pray and talk to the Lord? If not, why don't you? Do you not believe prayer works? No, I'd say you believe prayer works. Do you believe there's something more important or that you can handle it on your own? What about serving the Lord? Being a witness and a testimony to those that are around you. Are you consistent and faithful in it? You see, if we're not, it's because we struggle with these things. We may believe them up here, but we don't believe them here. But once we see them the way Peter sees them, and the way Peter saw them, it'll change our lives.